Wow, how lovely to see some um, faces that we haven't seen for a while this morning. Really, really lovely. You're so welcome. Um, and welcome back to our series, which is The Way. The Way. Um, so who has been just grateful for this series so far? Yeah? Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's I would say it's been mind-blowing because we have messages that trickle into us day by day, right? Just messages from, from the world, the media, our friends, just the way of talking. And so we need to check them, don't we, against the way of Jesus, Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. Um, so we've been really intentional as a church um, to look deeply into the way of the way, which is one of the talks that Adam has already given. Um, and it's just making us more spiritually healthy, which is what, uh, which is what we're hoping for. And, um, this week, I I was actually wondering, why is it that we don't discover the way before we become Christians, before we take that leap and we say we're going to trust God with our whole lives? Um, and I've realized that before you give your life to Jesus, it's like you're sort of on the outside peeping in. You cannot see the full picture. Um, and that's why we're told not to judge non-Christians. We're absolutely not to judge. Um, and I was thinking that when you move from the outside and you kind of blast away the wall of your own, uh, your, your questions and your past and, and the way that we're all a little bit broken or a lot broken, and we move from the outside to the inside, that it's at that point that our spiritual senses actually come alive. Um, Adam talked about the Zoe. Actually, it was hilarious. I was having a laugh with God because when you brought that prophetic word, you said a number of things which I have edited out of this talk <laughs> um, because I thought they were important, but just thought, oh, you know, we don't want to carry on going on till tea time today, do we? So thank you so much. Um, but we have, a, we have a biological life, but when we step into a faith relationship with God, then we begin from scratch, the Zoe life, the eternal life, and things that never made sense before just start to make sense. Nod, if, if you, has that been your experience too, those of you who have made that step? Um, not all at once, but bit by bit throughout your life and your journey, which is why encountering God in church, in small group, your, your um, Bible reading and prayer, these aren't just things that we do. They have eternal significance. Our soul is being transformed, and that is the soul that we take into eternity. So it's all good, yes? Um, I married Adam a while ago, um, and our fifth child, I never thought I would, those words would pop out of my mouth when I married you, our fifth child, Eliza, is, is four going on 14, okay? She has recently started to refine the art of answering back, all right? And I am not loving the, the eye-rolling, the foot-stamping, the, the, the tears, um, the, 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 the frowning, the refusals, and, and I'm just talking about Adam here, obviously, um, but... <laughs> Ka-ching. Um, and if I'm in a rush, then I'm often quite irritated. I'm like, come on, come on, we're going to be late, we're going to be late. Um, or if I'm tired, I fall back on those parental cliches Adam talked about last week. You know, the, that is not how you speak to a parent. Anyone ever said that who's a parent? Or, um, uh, 
How dare you be so ungrateful when there's children starving in the world? Yes, that another cliche. Um, but when I'm in the sweet parenting spot, then I'm, I'm calm and I'm clear and I'm correctional and I remind her of the things that we've already taught her. Um, so I will say something like this, um, Eliza, go and put on your pajamas. And she says, no, I'm not tired, I want to watch TV. Um, so I say, okay, let's try that again, shall we? When mummy says, pajamas time, you say, okay, mummy, and you go off and put on your pajamas, all right? So we'll just try that again. Are you ready, Eliza? I say, pajamas time, and she goes, okay, mummy, and she trots off. It is amazing how that works, right? And she trots off really quite happily, maybe not beaming, but, you know, quite happily, and it actually works because she prefers doing the right thing. Um, we are connected, she's secure, and she's operating on deep principles of love and trust because she knows that we want what's best for her. That's sort of immovable in her, and she's also got her pajamas on, so it's win-win-win all the way. Um, so why doesn't she always do that? Why doesn't she always do what she's told? Um, and that's because she forgets and gets distracted from that connection. She's influenced by all the things that she sees and feels and wants. Um, if you remember our autumn series on the way, we're tempted, aren't we, by our physical appetites, the lust of the flesh, what we see and want, the lust of the eyes, and our spiritual enemy, the pride of life. These are the temptations that she faces, and we do. And so she forgets to act according to her identity as a loved daughter. Um, because she has a complicated life, after all, there's, there's toys and games, isn't there, and, uh, and the imagination life, and there's friendships to form, activities and chores. Um, she gets tired and hungry. I don't know what's the matter with her this morning, by the way, during worship, but there we go. Um, she's learning to dress herself. Buttons are really tricky, okay, when your fingers are that little and not quite as strong. She's learning to read. Uh, she's brushing her teeth, and she's working out what the six in 160 means. Because it doesn't mean six, does it? And she's doing all this. And of course, that doing naturally distracts her from her being, her identity. And without these reminders, she forgets and she rebels, rebels and she goes her way instead of the way. And her life is only going to get more complicated, right? And more risky. I mean, think about it. If she doesn't put on her pajamas, She's going to go to bed late, and then she'll be overtired, and her body will become all kind of tense and jumpy, and she won't be able to kind of sleep, and she'll get into kind of a sleep uh, arrhythm, uh, and she'll start to grind her teeth during her REM cycle, which means that she'll then wake up tired and grumpy, not able to have her primary relationships, let alone her secondary ones. Um, she will be grumpy. She will go into school and not be able to learn and concentrate, so she'll fall behind her peers, uh, both socially and also... Um, uh, cognitively, uh, she will be less resilient, she'll make worse choices, and when she's older, she'll end up in a dead-end job, and she'll be cold and lonely and on her own. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's an overreaction, right? <laughs> but the way of the pyjamas is definitely more complicated than she knows, right? And that's okay, because I don't want her to think about all that. She's not ready. She hasn't got the building blocks of that knowledge in place yet. But as a loving parent, I must let her know what she needs to do next to thrive, right? Because she lives in a fallen world that makes it quite tricky 
to do the next right thing and what would best help her, the best way. So if Eliza, with her really quite simple life, struggles with her identity and how it affects what she does, how much more so us, right? We live in the much more complicated adult world where we're being constantly pulled away from the most important grounding relationship that there is, and that's the one with our heavenly father. And it's hard to remember our identity, which comes from the creator as a gift. Oh, it's there already. So identity, we're going to be talking about identity this morning. And identity is a hot topic these days. You know, who am I? What's my identity? And well, here it is, here we go. You are a unique, loved child of the almighty God, created for his purposes and his eternal pleasure. Okay, let's say it again. You are a unique, loved child of the almighty God, created for his purpose and eternal pleasure. And this morning, I have a high ambition that you would leave this place convinced of this fact, or at least challenged by this as a statement. The question of identity isn't a new one. Yeah? Christians have always been challenged to discover their true identity. The Bible is full of accounts where God challenges humans to not let temporary feelings, popular philosophies, the social norms have the last word, but to rethink and, as Adam talked last week, to unlearn these so-called sort of truths and accept them and see them as untrue. In the sort of Gen Z, Z era of the last 20 years, particularly in the alpha period of the last six or seven years, the effects of post-postmodernism, often called deconstructionism, have set a new popular philosophy. This deconstructionism has formed many new social norms, uh, which you'll recognize as we go forward. Um, and unintentionally, Christians and non-Christians alike have absorbed a lot of that unquestioningly. So why? Why have we accepted things without really looking at them? Um, on a much higher level, it's rather like refusing to put on our pajamas. Okay, we don't always have the time or capacity to think um, about the whys and wherefores of the popular philosophy, and we want to be nice and agreeable. We don't want to automatically argue. We'd like to agree. Um, but as a society, we're trying to build on deconstructionism. Um, maybe you've looked into it a lot, um, but for many, and um, probably the huge majority, we're taking these ideas forward, not because we personally believe them, but in an age where leaders and experts are not to be trusted, we trust what's popular among our peers. And we assume that if it's popular, then it must be right. If only, if only we sat down and got our heads around it. And I haven't done that yet, but maybe I'll do it next week or next year. Or maybe, like most people, never. Never getting around to it. I have looked into it a little, a little. And already I can see that deconstructionism doesn't make sense. Um, so here's one from deconstructionism. Um, there is no one true God, but we are all very moral. Yeah? 
that's what people think, um, for example. But how can we be moral if there is no authoritative standard for morality? Yes, who decides if good is good and if evil is bad? We started this millennium recognizing good and bad. You know, people would say, oh, your kids, they know right from wrong, and they kind of did. Um, but now we're saying that evil is always motivated by the pursuit of something good, like wealth, or influence, or pleasure. So who are we to call it evil? Who decides what's good? Me and my friends, or our leaders, or whoever gets most clicks? Our statement today goes on, and it actually goes against the emerging popular philosophy of deconstructionism. And deconstructionism has some really uh, strict secular doctrine about who we are, our identity. We are not allowed to question um, according to the secular doctrine. Um, and when it comes to it, our identity, it is either Jesus's way or it's the world's popular vote of deconstructionism. There isn't a compromise. So we're going to look at the statement critically by breaking it down. Firstly, the Bible says you are unique, and society says you're a sort of hodgepodge of categories or boxes, yes? So who is right? Is it God or is it society? Uh, when it comes to identity, we are wired to ask these questions. Who am I? What makes me me? What are my strengths and difficulties? Uh, what do I want? Could I, could I be something in this life that no one else could be? And these are massive, complex questions, and the answers don't have to be simple. How wonderful that our young people can dream of becoming anything. It was only a couple of hundred years ago that if your parents were um, bakers, then you'd be a baker, or if they farmed apples, you would farm apples, or if your parents were a prince and princess, then that's what you would be. But now I understand you can marry an actress from a legal drama and... Uh, sign a lucrative deal with Spotify, as long as you kind of tell everyone that you don't believe in misinformation, you can also keep your credentials. I don't know quite how that works, but there we go. Um, but our identity isn't just the job that we do. We want, uh, we want to work out all our sort of personal personality categories too. So am I an introvert? Or am I an extrovert? Which one am I? Um, are you an outdoors person or an indoors person? Or uh, a DIY person? Or a, I don't know, um, what else? A football person? Or are you a DIY and football person? That's another box that you can be in. Um, how has our upbringing affected us? Do I have mum issues or dad issues? Um, and what category of people do we want as our friends or our partners? And then, of course, there's sex, and that is really complicated. Thanks to Freud, humanity has spent the last few decades asking whether love has anything to do with making love and whether our most vulnerable human act has an impact on the soul that goes beyond that moment of impact. The world is battling through a period of questioning whether our biology dictates who we fall in love with. Um, humanity has decided no to biology's um, dictatorship on the subject of attraction. Um, then we've decided to say no to biology altogether, but yes to science as the ultimate authority. So, uh, you know, how does it work? I don't know what's going to be next. And the result of all these identity questions are impossible to reconcile. If my identity is my relationship status, but my sexuality is based on my history of encounters and momentary temptations, there's, there's nothing to rely on. 
if our identity actually is, is a thing. Um, is a job just a job? I do it for as long as I, I like the status it gives me or the money that it brings in. Or is it an expression of me and what I want to do in the world of whether it benefits society? Who are you to say that my choice to work as a prostitute is worse than or less valid than your job to work as a bus driver? Um, who are you to judge my trading in guns when you trade in flowers? And, you know, flowers damage the environment, right? What about the doctor who performs abortions versus the doctor that administers IVF? If we're willing to <laughs> take the responsibility and risk of engaging in politics, we are probably boxed somewhere on the continuum of left to right. Yes, which shade of purple are you? Um, and if I believe something on the left, like um, equality for all, regardless of gender, ethnicity, social status, and the importance of looking after uh, those that cannot help themselves, then I'm somehow not allowed to believe in the inestimable value of the unborn child or the, you know, the benefits of committed traditional marriage. These are all Christian values, by the way. <laughs> it seems to me that identity has become a collection of categories and boundaries and boxes created so that people can sort of play an identity snap, yes? Same box on the political strip spectrum, then you know, you're a snap. If you um, have the same musical taste, listen to the same bands, oh, that's a snap, I can be your friend. Um, say, listen to the same influencers, wear the same brands, play the same games, laugh at the same TikToks, you're snap, snap, snappity snap, that's your box. But if you put a toe out of that characterization, or you want, heaven forbid, to respectfully and curiously talk about you know, the possible pitfalls in the category that you might have chosen, or, or, or the benefits of another box, then the implication is that you're wrong, or stupid, or scandalous, or people just can't get you. But if our scope for identity is limited by other people's ability to get us, then we're never going to discover our full identity. Um, I have been married to Adam for 27 years. Uh, we have gone through all sorts, as you do, but we are still getting to know each other. Adam has discovered that I am an extrovert, but I'm a bit socially anxious, and I need regular time alone. Like, what is that? That's not the box. Yeah? I don't much like sports. I quite like to cook while other people watch sports. What is that? Uh, in some ways, I really care what you think of me, and in other ways, I don't care what you think of me. Like, that's not a box, is it? Um, I didn't marry a type, I married the unique Adam Alexander Bird, and thankfully he married me. So, you know, by the way, we're relentlessly committed to making that work even when we don't get each other, because that's Christian marriage, isn't it? The only person who will ever truly get you is the one that made you. He understands you right to the core. He knows what makes you tick because he made you tick. Yes? Um, let's have a read of this psalm. 139 verses 30. In fact, uh, shall we stand up and read this aloud? Yeah? That'll sort of shake us up a little bit. You're like, really? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, yes, let's stand up. Let's read this together. Here we go. Uh, after three, one, two, three. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. 
My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God's creativity is limitless. Yes, you were never intended to be categorized and boxed in. You are unique. Yeah, do take your seats. So secondly, God says you are loved and the world says you are insecure. The world says you are one tweet away from being cancelled. Say the wrong thing, ask even the wrong question, and you become an instant enemy of everyone who liked you five minutes before. And there you are, left insecure. Do I not say? Do I not ask? Or lonely and fearful? But God loves you with an everlasting love. He is your heavenly father. His love is unconditional and unbreakable. There is nothing you can do to make him love you more. Nothing you can do to make him love you less. It says in in John's letter, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. He accepts you as a parent accepts a child just as you are and yet loves you too much to leave you as you are. So he calls us to a better tomorrow. Romans 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship? Anyone had any trouble or hardship this week? Just me? Come on, who's had trouble and hardship this week? We pretty well all have, haven't we? Or persecution, maybe some of that. Famine, nakedness, danger or sword. No, nothing can separate us from his love. You are unique and loved. It is immovable and unbreakable. Thirdly, you are a child of the almighty God. Now, the new philosophy says, I am self-determined. I am a sort of fluid, unattached blob of desires and wants and needs, and I spontaneously sort of select, mostly, the certain categories you're not allowed to self-select, um, my identity. I meaninglessly, meaninglessly exist for a few decades, because I'm sort of a, I am a happy coincidence of atoms. Or, if I'm very spiritual, um, my mistakes might mean that I come back as a squirrel. So, um, how's that working out? Anyway, but who wants to be that? Who wants to be so meaningless and arbitrary? It's no surprise to me that when I spoke to uh, my counsellor, by the way, yay therapy, everyone should have it all the time. I have ongoing therapy. Um, when I spoke to her and I explained, I've been looking for, uh, to see what the studies are. Is there a correlation between adverse childhood experiences and people who seek therapy later on, um, particularly for identity confusion? And she was like, yeah, like everyone who comes to me who's, who's had you know, difficult upbringing. Um, then gets to a point where they start to ask who they are and, and end up in, in strange places because the blueprints for identity and relationships are established in those formative years, yes? But our negative subjective experiences do not lead to correct universal principles or God's best. And we can end up in the wrong place. But that's okay because God made a plan for that when we end up in the wrong place. He understands how our experiences will lead us off course 
and we can choose to redirect our lives. The great story, The Prodigal Son, if you haven't read that for a while. We come back and we submit and we accept that his way is the best. Submit. Isaiah says, we are the clay and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Part of our responsibilities as followers of the one God is to submit to how he created us, physically finite, but spiritually eternal. That is his plan. And to enjoy how he made others to be, which is wonderfully diverse. We have a church that is wonderfully diverse and we welcome in anyone who thinks that they don't fit because they will fit. Because we, we, we know to our very core that we are a church where everyone should come as God has created them to be. And we allow him to mold us and to make us better as we go. We have not arrived. So whatever your intellect, use it. Uh, whatever your situation in life, better it for yourself and for those around you. We're not passive clay. We are living clay. Willing to cooperate with God and trust him because he gave us these pajamas. Yes, he has given them to us for our good and for good of the world. To give us a hope and a future. And we are to make something of this life. This is what God meant when he commanded Adam and Eve to go forth into the world and to cultivate it. It says in Colossians, for in him all things were created. Things in heaven or on earth, visible and invisible, all things have been created through him and for him. God didn't make a mistake in allowing you to be a man or a woman, or clever or limited or loud or quiet. Society has made a mistake in treating some people as if they are of less value and worth. We are all the work of his hand, created through him and for him. And we don't have to earn this identity. It is a gift. Christianity is the only world religion where identity is not worked for. Not because we can't be bothered, but because that's what he decided. This is his mind-blowing plan. He made you a unique, loved child of the almighty God. Fourthly, you are created for his purpose. But if we become separated from our only real identity, which is found in Christ, we're compelled to endlessly keep on searching and searching. We become slaves, if you like, to our physical desires, but also to our spiritual longings, compelled to look and look and never find fulfillment. It is crazy, isn't it, how each generation is compelled by its own sort of must-have products and must-do habits. Um, according to the McCrindle researchers, Jeff and Barb's generation aspired to own roller skates and to go for brisk, health-giving walks. Erica's generation wanted frisbees and, w and went jogging. Adam wanted a Rubik's Cube and aerobics. You should have seen that. It was fine. What with the sweatband and the... Yeah. <laughs> Charlotte McDee's generation wanted to own a BMX bike and do the plank, right? Um, as for Annie's generation, um, it was the foldable scooter and hit training, yeah? And um, our children playing over there. 
they want fidget spinners and they're probably going to try Peloton, which is an exercise form on bikes. I had to find that out. Not real bikes. They don't get you anywhere. It's just on-the-spot biking. <laughs> but as our as but our aspirations get darker as, our, as the stakes get higher, yeah? How many of us who are alive right now, regardless of our age, can see that this insatiable craving for more stuff has become normal, even though it's failed to deliver? Materialism still exists in many ways, but I think that the world is outgrowing materialism because it's left us unfulfilled. We know that we still haven't found what we're looking for, yeah? Uh, go back to last week's preach if you don't understand what that was about. <laughs> and so we go looking elsewhere. You know, if I'm not made for more stuff, I wonder what I'm for. Uh, maybe it's for more thrills. And if it is, then horror films need to get more horrific and pornography needs to get more perverse and violent. So maybe we're going to reject that and say, actually, you know, our purpose is to do no harm. So... We point our finger at others for breaking the rules and wrecking the planet or offending someone. But we accept our own mistakes if they hurt us. Like, how is that okay? You do you as long as you don't harm anyone else has replaced that, you know, quiet, anonymous work of, of exquisite, beautiful service to others. Isn't it? Kindness, left uncelebrated. So we've got no more Mother Teresa's, but we've got the beast. Who is an influencer? I don't mean the, the other beast. <laughs> Maybe our purpose is simply to be seen by others. Yeah? More visibility. If lots of people like my latest posts, am I more? Is it enough to be noticed? Or maybe our purpose is to just soothe and comfort ourselves. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but there's still a lot of soft and comfy products in the shop. This, even though we've moved past Christmas, there's still all the fluffy mats and the, the faux fur bedding and the soft clothing. And it's almost as though we want to wrap ourselves up in bubble wrap, isn't it? Avoid anything that might be uncomfortable or brave or anxiety-inducing. People are staying at home more and they're adventuring less, not going on holiday. And yet, anxiety is still rocketing to unbearable levels. Comfortable has become a bit of a prison. Oh, no, I'm not going to do that. It doesn't make me comfortable. Like, okay, I don't have to do that. I'm not make or an accusation. Oh, you're not making me comfortable. And suddenly you feel like the worst person in the world. As if staying in our comfort zone has really got humanity anywhere worth going. So is our purpose to consume more products, experience thrills, rise to the lofty standard of doing no harm, being seen, avoiding discomfort? No. These things are still not what we're looking for. But the aching desire for purpose remains, even though we've searched. Um, C.S. Lewis wrote this in Mere Christianity, worth reading the whole chapter, but I'm just going to read you a, a short quote. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, it doesn't prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I will not find until after death. 
And so we're coming to the last part of the identity statement that I made at the start. Uh, the one that I want to convince you of this morning, you are unique, loved, child of the almighty God, created for his purpose and eternal pleasure. You exist for God's eternal pleasure. The thrills on this earth are just an appetizer for what is to come in the next life, the eternal life. Uh, this was shown in a vision to the Apostle John. It's in the book of Revelation. We're going to look at it a little bit just now. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Oops. Look, God's dwelling place is now among his people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. There will be no harm to be done in heaven because there will be no crying or pain. In heaven we will actually see God. We will see him seeing us. There'll be no need to be noticed. We will be ultimately comforted because it says that he himself will wipe away every tear. How that can work with all the thousands upon thousands of Christians that will be in eternity, I don't know, but it doesn't matter that I don't know because I'm just me and you're just you. He will wipe away every tear himself. So what is our response? Are we willing to reject the world's ideas? You are a multi-categorized, insecure, self-determining coincidence, compelled and never fulfilled. Or are you ready to confess that you are a unique, loved child of the Almighty God, created for his purpose and eternal pleasure? All of our identity questions are answered in the way which is Jesus. Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. And I wonder, is there anyone here this morning who feels that their identity has been under attack and longs for the abundant life? If you feel that way, don't be surprised. The devil comes to steal, kill and destroy. It's what he does. But he does not get to have the last laugh for you. Put your trust in Jesus. Step into his abundant life. And I would like to make that appeal to you this morning. In the room or if you're watching after. Maybe you've prayed a commitment prayer before and you realize you've, you've drifted away. It's easily done. And I'm appealing to you to come back to your true identity. And if you've never confessed Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, you can confess right now. You can give him your sin and shame and receive your true identity from him. Can we stand for a moment, please?
I'm going to invite anyone who wants to to kind of make a stand for your identity this morning. If you are ready to reject the world's concept of who you are, I would encourage you, come forward. Just start to come forward right now even. That's it. Are you ready to reject it? Because you will be picking it up on the news this week, on what you read, on the billboards that you go by. Come forward if you are ready to reject. And if you are ready to accept, maybe to a new level, this fact that you are a unique, loved child of the Almighty God. Come forward and join. You were created for his purpose and eternal pleasure. Don't be shy. Don't be one of those people that says, I'm already a Christian. I don't need to step forward. If you want to fully accept your uniqueness, the unbreakable love of the Father, that you are his, not yours, then do step forward.